Uh, welcome to the Blue Ridge uh, Church of Christ. Hopefully we all have plans with uh, our moms today. And I do appreciate what Jesse said earlier. I mean, uh, today's not just a day about our biological moms, but anybody who's been a mom to us. And there's so many great examples of, of uh, women in the church who've been great mothers to the teens, um, who've, who've given their hearts to others. And uh, so we're just grateful for everybody in the church who's been a mom, who's been uh, uh, taking care, who's, who's, who's comforted somebody, encouraged them. Uh, and we want to just spend today being grateful uh, for our mom. So hopefully, I know I got plans. I already sent my mom a text earlier. That I'm gonna, don't worry, I'm going to call you later. Because um, it's a catch-22. If you call before church, there's not enough time to really talk. But if you, call, if you don't call, then your mom gets, gets worried, you know, uh, that she has all church to think about, how you haven't called yet. So I sent her the reassuring text. So that's my new plan, the reassuring text, and then I'll call later. Um, but... But I'm super grateful for my mom. I'm going to share a little bit about her more uh, in today's lesson. Uh, but very exciting. So we're actually kicking off a new series uh, for the summer. We finished Ephesians, uh, which was awesome to be able to kick off, kick off the year with the book of Ephesians and go straight through. We're doing something a little different for the summer. Uh, we're, we're studying out transformation by the Holy Spirit for the year. Uh, and that's a big idea. That's a big concept. The Holy Spirit alone is a, he's a huge concept. He's a, he's a, he's a big deal, you know. And uh, the transformation is a big part of the gospel. And so as we think about ourselves, our character, how we can be transformed, how we can grow, uh, we, we were talking about it, we were discussing it, what can we really look at as a church? And so we, we kicked off this idea of the, just really having a summer uh, where we go after uh, love. And we really look at how we can really love each other. Because we kind of keep hearing, um, and this is actually, I think, a trend in the world, uh, where we just have less and less relationships. Yeah. Less and less friendships. I was reading an article yesterday about there's a direct correlation between a computer and iPhone usage to um, the, the more you use a computer, basically a screen, the more you use a screen, the less social interactions you have and, and the, the higher your likelihood of anxiety and depression. I was like, whoa, that's intense. Uh, but that's not just the world. It's also it can happen in the church too yeah. where we can, uh, we, we can just not have the, the deep, we can say, hi, how you doing? How, how's the game? How's your kids? Be super shallow. We're good at shallow. We're, we're trained from a young age to be shallow. Uh, but the real deep relationships that we all that we're made to really crave, because God in Himself is a triune. He's He's more than one. Uh, and so this summer we want to go after uh, love. And how do we do that? What stops us from loving? Well, usually fear. And so we we want to highlight that. That's why the packet in the back. Please grab one. The theme is from Second Timothy one seven. Not a spirit of fear. It's not, we have not been given a spirit of fear, uh, but of, of power, love, and self-discipline. Obviously, one of those three is love, and we want to highlight that one. But talking about how can fear get in the way of great relationships, how can fear get in the way of faith. And so we're going through uh, a ton of Old Testament characters. I love the Old Testament. I'm like a kid in a candy store this summer looking at all these stories of real people, people just like us uh, in real situations and how God works through their weakness, how God works through their fear to actually bring about his will. And once we see that, we can then apply that to our lives. Yeah. It's actually, in a way, it's training us to read our Bibles, too. A lot of us, we, we, we read the Bible, and we, the first thing we think of, how, what does this mean to me? And we change the scripture to, it's not even what it's talking about, but we make it what we want it to be, because we live in a, a, a society that's very much like, well, what is, what, how can it be for myself? How can the scripture be for myself? How can I find a church that applies to me? How can I have something good for me? So we don't. So actually, it's a way to read the Bible. What does it mean to them? Yeah. 
What did, what did the scriptures mean to them? And therefore, what does it mean to, to us? Yeah. And so it's actually, I'm really excited about this summer. And today, we're actually kicking off uh, with, with, with a mom, with a mother, uh, and that's, that's Sarah. Uh, we're going to talk about Sarah. You know, we talk about Father Abraham a lot. Well, there's also Mother Sarah. Uh, we're going to talk about Sarah, her weakness, and how God worked through her. Uh, and as you can see in the back, we have a packet that this whole week has scriptures and questions based on Sarah. Uh, and next week, uh, we'll be moving forward all throughout the whole year. We're going to kick off two parts of Joseph and then moving forward all the way through Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar, all the way up, into, up until Jesus, which will be very, very cool. Um, so that's kind of the plan. This is my family, by the way. Um, that's my mom there in the middle. Uh, my sister on the bottom right, that's Kelly. Uh, her husband's in the top center. Uh, they, my, uh, his name's Jeff, Jeff and Kelly. They lead uh, the Dallas campus ministry. Um, so they're there. That's their daughter I'm holding. It's not, not my own daughter there. It's my niece. There's a lot of pictures on Facebook of me holding kids. So it's, it creates a lot of confusion. Um, <laughs> For people, but uh, so there, there I am with Jill. Uh, Jill's at now. Jill's two, uh, pushing three, and uh, obviously Jenny there. My mom in the middle. My brother and his wife, John Mark and Kendall, they'll actually be here Tuesday for the week. They're coming up to visit. They're in the Atlanta Church, the North River Church of Christ. Uh, that's my other niece, Holly, that they're holding. Then my dad, my dad there in the back. Now this picture does not have the newest edition, Penny. So Penny was born in January. So uh, we're gonna get a chance to, to see Penny. So Holly, Jilly, Penny, you know, it's a thing. Um, and uh, all my sister's kids. So uh, as my mom keeps reminding my brother and I, we have some catching up to do uh, in the grandchildren department. But, uh, but I did want to show this photo because I think it, it, it's a great photo of, of my, to, to convey my mom's faith. And my mom was converted as a campus student. She grew up in Garden City, Kansas, small town, big family, six kids. Uh, you know, a religious family, but never really lived out the scriptures she was reached out to in the campus ministry. She studied the Bible. And she became a disciple of Christ uh, in college. Um, and so even from there, my mom's, my mom's decisions to be faithful along with my dad. My dad was offered a, a great job out of college at Deloitte, making about triple what he would have made in the full-time ministry. He was at, they were asked to go into the full-time ministry, to go to Dallas, Texas, to go serve there as administrators. Um, they took that job faithfully. Uh, less money. My mom was pregnant. Or my mom had just had my sister. She was pregnant with me. Uh, I was born in Kansas City, moved down to Dallas. Uh, then we, they were asked faithfully to go to L.A. in 1994, which su- sufficiently scared my parents uh, there after the, a lot of the uh, L.A. riots, yeah. uh, a few years after the L.A. riots, and um, moved to L.A., moved uh, four times in L.A. faithfully. Um, always, when, we had a joke that whenever mom and dad asked us to a, to a dinner at a nice place, they were going to tell us we're moving. Um, <laughs> And so I remember the, the last time it happened, they asked us to Pomona Mining Company. It's this nice uh, L.A. restaurant. And uh, I, I, right when we sat down, I said, so where are we moving? And uh, it was really quiet. And I was like, oh, no. Um, you know, and, and we, we moved again there. But what was great about my parents, um, I, had, I went to four different elementary schools. We moved a lot as kids. And uh, what's great about my parents, and especially my mom, is that it was, it was not their strength at all to move. Uh, both small town Kansan. My dad um, grew up in McPherson, Kansas, very small town. They, uh, they just got uh, an Arby's and a Taco Bell. Um, very small town. My mom, Garden City, Kansas, a little bigger, but still small town. Uh, but just my parents' faith to answer God's call. Uh, my, my mom has prayed every day since I was born that all her kids would become disciples. Um, it's, it's, it's been the number one. She's been a faithful mom. 
I remember uh, as a teenager, a teenager in my angsty years, uh, you know, like fretting about, oh, am I going to get married? And is there a girl out there for me? And, you know, and, and starting to, my mom said, my mom was just, she would be so faithful. Like, of course there's an amazing woman out there for you. I've been praying every day since you were born that you would marry an awesome disciple. You know, so it's just like the, the but this, this picture here was my mom's faith 30 years ago. Um, that, that, that there would be a, a legacy of faith in the family. Not a legacy of prosperity, a legacy of success, a legacy of money, or a legacy of athletic or intellectual achievement. But really, my dad's faith to, to take less money, uh, he, got, he, had to, he got let go in 2003. is a very difficult time. But one thing I, I remember from my parents is that they're faithful. They're faithful parents. And my mom, oh, incredibly faithful mom. So I'm, I just want to say that. Say that to you, Mom. Uh, she's probably going to watch this later. So uh, get some brownie points for that one. Um, so, uh, but I am really grateful for, for my mom. And as we talk about moms this morning, uh, the title of my lesson is uh, Yeah, Right. Uh, Genesis chapter 18. Title of my lesson is... Actually, I have like two titles, two points. We'll call it a point. First point, we'll say that. There's two this time. First point... Yeah, right. Uh, Genesis chapter 18, you know, in the Bible, God has a great, a great plan. And it begins in Genesis chapter 1, basically God creating a people who are going to deliver his promise to the world. Who are going to be, the whole idea of God, create, God working through a family. How cool is that? God worked through a family in the Old Testament. Adam and Eve's family. Uh, a family with a lot of sin. A family with a lot of issues. He worked through Noah. Of a lot of sin in that family. What we see in the Bible is that God's consistently working through people, and they continually uh, struggle. God gives them. God gives um, Abraham in Genesis 12 a very specific promise. I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make a name for you. Well, what happens just a, chap- a couple of chapters before in the Tower of Babel? What do they say when they build the Tower of Babel? They say, "Let us make a name for ourselves." Right. So this is the essential issue with the whole Old Testament, and honestly, the issue with us today, is that God promises, I'm going to make a name for you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to, you're going to be just fine. But then we start to struggle. You know what? I'm going to make a name for myself. I'm going to do it my own way. I'm going to veer off the path. And what we see in the Old Testament is people continually veering, and people continually, that's why I love the Old Testament, because there's a lot of weakness. Sometimes you look at churches and you're like, oh, nobody's struggling, nobody's open, nobody's real. I appreciate Bobby sharing that. Vulnerability can be seen in the world as, as weakness, but we know it as strength. The vulnerability is actually strength. And that when we see that God actually works through a lot of messed up folks in the Old Testament. We see it even with Abraham and Sarah. Abraham's given this promise. He goes to Egypt and he realizes his wife is kind of attractive. And he fears for his life because like, they're probably going to kill me and they're going to take my wife. You know what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of say she's my sister. So if they want to take her, they can Yikes. This is, this is Abraham, father of, you know, uh, uh, Judaism, Christianity, Islam. This is the father of faith here, Abraham. He's offering up his wife. And then the Pharaoh of Egypt kind of sniffs it out. He's like, I, I, don't, I don't, what did you do? Why did you do that? Like, uh, and then if that wasn't enough, Abraham does it again with Abimelech. And is like, hey, uh, you're my, tell him you're my sister. Like Abraham's constantly choosing himself over his wife uh, here. So we can see a lot of sin in Abraham. But then... When they're promised, uh, Abraham at least is promised. We don't know if Sarah knows. But Abraham's promised that he's going to have a kid. And that through that kid, God is going to actually 
reconcile all the nations back to himself. Basically, I'm going to reach out to the world through your kid. It's pretty cool. I'm, he's going to be my, my plan, my plan for the world, right? And so even knowing that, and we don't know if Sarah knows, but Sarah begins to feel insecure that she cannot have a kid. She struggles through the process of infertility. And she begins, and in, in ancient times, it was incredibly important to have, a, have a, an heir, to have a kid who could pass on your name, this idea of name again, who could pass on your name, all, pass on all your, uh, 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 all your, um, your wealth, all, your, all that, that you own, um, that your name could live on through your offspring. It was incredibly important, especially for a woman, and it is today, to struggle through the struggles you know, of infertility and not have, being able to have a kid. But even more so then, because it was like loss of status. And they had an, also a, a, an added element of, if we can't have a kid, that must mean God doesn't love us. They would jump to that conclusion. We can feel that way too sometimes, when we really want certain things. They don't happen. We think, well, God must not. I must have done something wrong. And so what Sarah does... What did she say? I'm going to make a name for myself. I'm going to go about it myself. So she says, you know what, Abraham, take my maidservant, Hagar, have a kid with her. That'll be our heir. And back then that was, that was customary. If you couldn't have an, an heir through, your, through the, the wife, you could produce an heir some other way. It was just too important not to have an heir. But then almost like predictably, it causes a ton of strife in the household uh, Sarah's struggling. She's like, get her out of here. You know, get Ishmael out of here, her son. Um, God ends up taking care of them. But you can see that there's a lot of sin and a lot of issue in this family. Abraham is selfish, giving up his wife. He cares about himself. Sarah puts a lot of her esteem in having a kid, a lot of her hope in having a child for value. So she begins to question God's promise and do it her own way. When she does it her own way, then she realizes, I blew it, I'm angry. That's kind of the plan, right? That's what God knows. If we try to do it our own way, it won't work out. And then we land here in Genesis 18. That was a little bit of background. We land here in Genesis 18 in verse 1. It says, The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre, and he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your, in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me go get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have uh, come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three sayas of the finest flour. And, 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 and is it it or need? It's it, right? Need. need. I never get that right. My wife bakes her own bread too. The finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran into the herd, ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds of milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked. Interesting how they know her name, right? Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were, all, were already very old. The, the Hebrew word there is they were very elderly. <laughs> they were very elderly. And Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, Will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh 
and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid. There it is, fear. Sarah was afraid. So she lied and said, I didn't laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. Um, great narrative. It's awesome here. I would love to get into some of the nitty gritty. I mean, some of the cool aspects of this is there's three visitors introduced in the beginning. But then for the rest of the narrative, it seems like there's only one, which is very interesting. Also, in the Hebrew throughout, it switches from singular, plural, singular, plural, singular, plural. Abraham keeps saying, you all, you, all of you, you, all of you, you. It's very confusing. There's a lot of thoughts of, of why, why that is. I mean, I believe it's, it's to emphasize the fact that God is not just singular, but God is everywhere. God is plural. For those of us in here, I mean, obviously, it does, the text doesn't explicitly say it, but we know from the New Testament we have a trinity. We have a God, Son, and a Holy Spirit. And that though they are all separate, at some times they are also one. So it's incredibly cool here that we actually see this visitor. We don't know who he is. We know that in John 1 it says Jesus was with God from the beginning. It's possible this is actually Jesus here talking to Abraham, but it's quite a, a, a comedic interaction. These three visitors show up. Abraham kind of does the classic undersell. He's like, let me just get some water for you. Comes back with basically like three gallons worth of flour. That's a ton of bread. He kills a whole calf. He's being super hospitable. And then as they're talking, they haven't even seen Sarah. She's off. She's in the tent. They ask, How's, where, where's Sarah? So Abraham's like, okay, how do you know my wife's name? Uh, she's over there in the tent. Then they make this promise she laughs to herself. It's not even like out loud. And they go, hey, why did your wife just laugh? You know, Abraham's like, what is going on here? Who are you? And they say, is anything too hard for the Lord? I love that. And so Abraham probably in that moment has realized what's just happened, that he's sort of unexpectedly really entertained God. How crazy is that? Abraham was able to host God and give him, you know, treat him to some food and water here. But I want to really focus on, I want to look at, at Sarah. Sarah's reaction to God's promise. At this point, Sarah's very old. And it, it, it's not like she's super faithless here. She is, but it makes, it makes sense. She's very old. In fact, three times in the passage, the text calls her elderly. It's almost like they're, they really want us to know that she is, she's old. That this is, this is, there's no way this can happen. And she actually laughs, right? She laughs and she kind of says to herself, yeah, right, right. Yeah, right. This isn't going to happen. Because I think we find it easiest to be faithless in situations where we cannot see a realistic solution. And, uh, you know, there's a great quote uh, by a guy named Chesterton that hope means hoping when things are hopeless or it is no virtue at all. As long as matters are really hopeful, hope is mere flattery or platitude. It is only when everything is hopeless that hope begins to be a strength. And so we can see, too, it's easy for us to be faithful in situations where we can definitely see a solution. But then it's not really faith, is it? It's easy to be hopeful when we've already planned out the way to do it. Well, it's not really hope, is it? And so what I really want to talk about today is the situations in life where we can feel especially hopeless. Like we've given up. And even at Sarah's age and Abraham's age, they've been around a couple, the block a few times. It's not like they're young and like naive. They've been through life. I don't know how many years Sarah tried to have a kid. Sarah and Abraham worked to have a kid and it didn't work. I mean, she's worn out. She's tried. 
everything. We can feel that way, right? I've tried everything. I've done all I can for my daughter, for my son, and it just it doesn't seem to be helping. I've done all I can to try to reach out to my friends, to my family. It just doesn't seem to be working. I've done all I can with this sin in my life that I'm addicted to, that I cannot seem to repent of. And we can think, I've done all I can. And then when we've exhausted our resources, we think, hopeless. It's done. There's no way this is going to work. And I think we, we, we make it about our resources. We think about, well, what do I have in the tank? I can't share my faith because I don't have enough time to really sit down with this person and study the Bible. I can't choose to fully die to my old way of life, to, to deny myself, to repent, to get baptized, because I don't know if I can really follow through. I don't know if I'm good enough. I don't know if I can deliver on that. I can't do it. I'm going to blow it. We, we don't have faith. And, and when we think about our own resources, we rob ourselves of faith because it's all about us. And then we trick ourselves. And we do, when, we, when we accomplish something, uh, we can either think it's faithful and God did it, or we just say, you know what? I did that. I made it happen. And then it reinforces the selfishness. It reinforces a self-reliance. We can look at uh, hopeless situations and look at the faith in ourselves, but also the faith we put in others. We can think, I've tried everything and I can't do it. Or we can also think, he's just going to fail me again. She's just going to hurt me again. Uh, my mom's never going to change. My dad's never going to change. My wife's never going to change. It's, my situation is never going to change. And we can think about somebody else. And so other people letting us down. Perhaps Sarah thought, man, if Hagar could just have a kid, then I would be able to be fulfilled. And when Hagar did have the kid, what did she do to Hagar? She kicked her out. She's the one who asked Hagar to do this. Hagar's like, I didn't, I'm just here, you know. And then Sarah kicks her out and says, go, basically go die in the desert. Um, but she wasn't just putting faith in herself, Sarah, but now she was trying to put it in other people. Oh, you're going to help me. You're going to fix my problem. You're going to deliver. And then the sad part is, is that when they do, we're dependent on them. When they don't, we give up on them. And we, any way you look at it, we, we sufficiently eliminate God from these hopeless situations. The hardest part of trust, faith, hope, I'm going to use those interchangeably. They all, they all have the same idea. Trust, faith, hope. The hardest part of trust, faith, and hope is that they're all out of our control. And boy, do we love control. We love control. That's like the marketing uh, uh, angle for every product ever is ultimate control. You have maximum control. You have climate control. You have control over your TV. You have, you have con- we, we love being in, in control. And it's, it's, it's reinforced in, in society to be out of control. I was listening to something recently talking about how teenage women today would rather be accused of being sexually um, illicit or sexually promiscuous than be accused of being clingy or needy. That actually being clingy or needy or like, you know, like kind of all over a, a guy, you know, like, I, I want to spend time with you. I need you. That's actually more embarrassing. Because, because, no, no, you need to be independent. And a, lot of, a big part of the, uh, the sexual revolution is that we want, we want women to start being more like men. Which is to basically put your success and your, and your idol to be in, in your job. In your performance and not relationships. And so, even the world says independence is power. We need to empower people. Make your own decisions. You don't need anybody to tell you what to do. And then when we're in situations where we, we don't have control, we think, this must be bad. I want control. 
And we, we, we try to control everything. We control, we don't try to control our marriage. We try to control our kids' happiness. We try to control, and it kills, it eliminates God. I wonder if God waited this long for Abraham and Sarah because they were finally ready. She laughed out, she laughed in her heart, but I wonder if she would have laughed out loud 50 years ago. You know, I don't know. Because she's pushing 100 at this point. And I wonder if she would have just, you know, but God's waited. I wonder if he waits for us to really be broken. Like Brian talked about last week, the pottery. You can't use pottery until it's malleable. You can't form it until it's ready to be formed. And, and we look at suffering and we, we shy away from it. But here's the thing. We could talk today about a lot of hopeless situations. I think sometimes we think about hope and faith about things we want. Sarah could have easily thought, oh, God's going to give me what I want finally. A son, a kid, a daughter, a kid. But God wasn't giving Sarah what she wanted. He was working his great plan out through Isaac. Now, Sarah was able to be encouraged because God loves us. He wants to give us good things. The Bible tells us God wants to give us good gifts. But God's not going to give you what you want just because you want it. God's not going to enable your idolatry, right? But when we finally get to a point where we're able to have what we desire but really praise God, that's where we're able to really have maturity and discernment. These things I really care about. Sure, I wanted to get married to an awesome woman. I idolized that for a long time. It was my be-all, end-all. I prayed harder about finding a wife than most things. And I was like, why won't God give me one? And I re- it, was, it was interesting. You know, really, it's all about me. And I wonder if God, you know, at Anton shares, he's like, I think God just, you know, puts you in a situation where you had to, like, work through all your self-destructive yeah. mechanisms, you know, until you finally were humble to really seeing what a wife and who a wife should be. And I'm so grateful for my wife to this day. But for a long time, I wanted, I wanted my Isaac to just be for me. Because it'll make me feel better. Make my problems go away. But God says, no, I actually have a greater plan, which is salvation for the world. Salvation for the world. God wanted to reconcile the nations back to himself. And we can talk today about a lot of things like that car you want, the job you want, the kid you want, what the kind of kid you want your child to become. But I don't want to talk about those things today. Let's talk about the, the, the most hopeless situation that really matters most which is our relationship with God. That is the most hopeless situation. Because here's the thing. When we look to our resources to try to deliver or provide a solution, the one area we cannot deliver is to save ourselves. We cannot do it. We try to do it. We do it through avoiding. I'm just going to distract myself with enough things to do that I don't have to ever think about my relationship with God. I only think about my relationship with God when I feel like I've done enough to feel less guilty. And it's really just us. We are the God. We're Jesus, not, not Christ. And, and we, get, we get into this mindset that we can save ourselves. If we, if we, and usually two ways. We either, with our emotions, we usually either want to do one of two things, right? We either repress them, avoid, don't deal with it, watch the game, right? It's a big one for guys. Or we are controlled by our emotions. And either way, we're trying to be our own savior. We're trying to save ourselves. But we have to realize the first step is we cannot bring life out of death. You know, in Romans 4, Paul is especially harsh here. I don't know if Moses, not Moses, I don't know if Abraham appreciated this. But Paul says, Abraham's body was as good as dead. He was super old since he was about 100. And that Sarah's womb was also dead. Abraham's like, yo, chill it, Paul. Come on, man, chill out. It's my wife, you know. Um, But Paul's trying to make a point. 
This is a hopeless situation. This is a dead situation. But it's only one who can bring life from death. And we cannot do it. We cannot save ourselves. We can't do it. If we tried our, our very, very best from here on out. It's the whole reason God wanted Isaac to be born in the first place. Because God had Christ in mind from the get-go. And God realized from the, from the very first instance of Adam and Eve, I need, these people need a mediator. Adam's going to keep sitting. Yeah. Uh, Eve is going to keep oh, sinning. Uh, Noah, golly, going to keep sinning. Abraham, what are you doing with your wife? Your marriage is in shambles. Going to keep sinning. Sarah, oh my gosh, you're a handmaid. Hagar, what? Sin, 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 sin. We are going to sin. God realized, you know what? My people need an advocate. They need someone to be a sacrifice for them. They need someone's blood to pay the price so that they can truly see a life worth living. And you know what's a life worth living? One that is actually where we stop living for ourselves and start living for Christ. You know what that is? That's, that's dying to our old life and living for Christ. God had repentance in mind from the get-go, from Isaac. This is, uh, uh, we're talking 3,500 years ago. God has this beautiful, intricate plan in motion of what he wants to do for his people. What are your dead situations? What are your hopeless situations? And especially in terms of your relationship with God. Uh, I understand that it's difficult in certain, you know, we want certain things, we crave certain things. But as our relationship with God goes, where do we see it as hopeless? Maybe in in an area of, we just don't feel like we can repent of a certain sin. I've tried, did my best, but I can't. I'm just never going to be able to stop looking at internet pornography. I'm just never going to stop, you know, wanting to be in control of my own life. I'm never going to stop looking down on others. I'm never going to stop gossiping. I'm never going to stop idolizing my kids. I tried, you know what, it's just too, too, too difficult. What are your dead situations? In what ways... Have you realized that your resources are not enough? My second point is that Christ delivers. First point, yeah, right. Second point, Christ delivers. There's a great passage um, in Hebrews 11 that goes through a lot of people in the Old Testament who had faith. And what the Bible says in Hebrews 11 about Sarah is that Sarah laughed, but... She, she trusted the promise because she considered the one who made the promise faithful. So there was an aspect of Sarah, for sure, that she laughed. How can I do this when I am old? She realized she could not. She lacked the resources to bring life from death. But then she considered, wait, who just made this promise? Wait, wait, wait. Is this guy trustworthy? What's his, what's his uh, reputation? What's his, what are some of his... Uh, previous you know work experiences here with God what has he done but she considered that God made the promise and God is trustworthy and that's the one thing we got to leave with today what promises has God made and is God someone we can trust it's much easier to be hopeless and make this not about God you know we were some of the guys were in a bible study recently with a fella and he he was so addicted to a certain sin He'd done it for years that he was like, I just can't change. We're always going to sin. We just have to accept it. We're always going to sin. We'll never change. Jesus died for us. And we just have to just accept Jesus as our savior kind of thing. And I asked him, I said, do you believe you can change? 
And he paused for like 30 seconds. He was like, yeah? And I was like, okay, let me ask you again. You know, do you even believe that it's possible? And he was like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. And I said, I said, maybe because you've been addicted for so long and the situation's been hopeless for so long that you've given up, that you're worn out, you're done, and, and you can't even, see, can't even see the possibility of repentance. And, where the, and we know that Jesus Christ, he can't do faith. He can't do miracles without faith. There was many widows in Jerusalem, but only one received Elijah in 1 Kings uh, chapter 18. And that was, that was the widow of Zarephath because she had faith. Faith is the most important thing when we look at our lives. But we don't see it that way. Even if you sit down in a D time with a brother or a sister and you ask, hey, how, how's, your, how's your week been? Sometimes we start confessing sins, right? Like, oh, yeah, actually, I didn't read my Bible one day. And um, I was really angry with my kids. And then I, I did, I kind of, you know, Oh, I was lazy mentally, you know, I just started, my mind started to wander, started to lust. But we don't usually confess faithlessness as sin. We don't talk about faithlessness that way. We don't deal with faithlessness that way. And we, we just accept faithlessness. It just becomes normal. And then we just start to only do things because we have the exact resources. Sarah was promised Isaac not to meet her desire to have a child but to set in motion his great plan to reach out to the world through Israel. We have the most trouble in trusting God's greatest promise, that if we trust in him and die to our old lives and obey, we will be saved. That's the most difficult part we have, the trust aspect. Trust is incredibly difficult. God says you got to obey. you got to obey. But it's only faith if it's a difficult situation in which to obey. Uh, we could think about, we can name all the different ways, but I think the big one, do you trust that if you obey God, that you will be saved? Obedience in every fashion. That, that requires faith, too. You can't be faithful without obedience. Faith is not just an intellectual adherence to a certain logical stream. It's actually active. Uh, in many ways, we're like Sarah, you know? God promises us that he can give us life from our death. Uh, and we feel, but we, we, we laugh. We go, yeah, right. We don't, we don't consider the one who made the promise. But I want us this morning to consider the one who makes the promise. For those that are not disciples today, who are not, you know, you're, you're Christian, sure you grew up, you have, you have affection for Christ. But are you a disciple? Are you someone who has laid down your life for the gospel? It doesn't mean you're perfect doesn't mean you're sinless, sinless, doesn't mean you're sinless, but it does mean that you've chosen to die to your old way of thinking and be raised to a new life. If you've not made that decision, how's your faith this morning? Do you believe that God can make you a new person, that God can create a new person out of the old? We live in a world that doesn't even like to talk about that at church. It's just, you're all sinners, sorry, uh, here's a picture of Jesus, a bunch of songs make you feel better. And uh, we don't have to really do anything. If you want to come to stuff, you can. But goodbye. There's no sacrifice. The most valuable things in the world have a cost. How can Christ's death be costly to him but be free for us? Christ delivers. Christ didn't come to make a bunch of uh, promises and then leave and sit in a high chair, you know, in his high, high off, uh, lofty tower, his ivory tower, and look down on us. But Christ delivers. I want to talk about a few people 
who's God, God's worked in their life. You know, I think sometimes we, like, we want each other to have faith in us. I want you to believe in me. I want you to have faith in me. What we probably should be saying is, I want you to believe in God for me. I want you to believe in God for me. Because God can do it, I cannot. But I understand what we're trying to say. We want someone to really, like, you know, think we can, we can accomplish it. I get that. But I think sometimes we think, oh, I can do it. No, God can do it through you. God can deliver through you. God's resources are limitless, but yours are limited. I want to talk about Charlie Smith. You know, Charlie's, Charlie's you know, finished his second year at James Madison University. Charlie is Julie's, uh, Julie Smith's nephew, uh, Emily and Natalie's cousin. And Charlie studied the Bible for a long time. We, we met up every week for the whole fall semester a few years ago. And, and it went through it, went through it, went through it. It just wasn't, didn't seem to be clicking. But I remember Charlie just kept calling. We went, you know, we said the Bible probably 20 times. Uh, and we're just talking, just talking. And I remember he would call me and just say, hey, do you have a second to talk? And the first, first semester, uh, a couple, you know, this, this past year, not this past school year, but the one before that, we sat down uh, dining hall and Charlie was like, I got to change. But he was still stuck. He couldn't make this decision. He had a girlfriend. They weren't, uh, and Charlie doesn't mind me sharing this, but they, they weren't, didn't have not, did not have a pure relationship. And he knew that was in the way yeah. of him really being a disciple. Well, Charlie was challenged to break up with his girlfriend <laughs> and pursue God. Sounds radical. Well, Charlie did it that day. The next day, because she, she actually wasn't interested in becoming a disciple. Next day, after breaking up, she shows up out of nowhere at the campus retreat. And she's like, I want to be here. You know, I want to. I was like, all right, be careful now. You don't come after Charlie. You know, I was like, I was being protective. I was, I was, I was hovering. Now you hover. I was hovering. I was like, come on, Sarah. Don't, don't go after Charlie now. Um, Charlie decided to, be, to get baptized, become a disciple. Sarah decided to study the Bible on her own in the Northern Virginia church. She was actually reached out to, by the way, totally unconnected, uh, cold contact by some sisters up there. She became a disciple. You know, they got back together. They're doing, they're doing great. They're now they're, uh, this summer, uh, giving their hearts and growing in their faith. But you know what? That doesn't happen if Charlie doesn't make a radical, faithful decision to obey God's call. God delivered. Christ delivered. You know, think about Brittany McLeod. Brittany was reached out to in Hampton Roads, became a disciple. It was through Brittany that her sister Brianna becomes a disciple. It was through, her, through Brittany that Pierre was able to become a disciple. It's now through the whole family that they're reaching out to their parents, to their sister Monet, the whole, the whole group. And now as Brittany actually just moved away this past week to go to Annapolis to reach out to her husband, to try to share the gospel with her husband. You know, that's what God can do if we obey. Because Christ delivers. We don't have to have the resources in ourselves. We can't do it. Brittany can't do it. But you know what? God worked through Brittany to be able to bring salvation to almost a whole household, perfectly soon, a whole household. Right? We'll talk about Wuju Lee. Wuju Lee. Wuju was up last Sunday. You probably remember him. He said, it's, it's prayer time. Or he said, time to pray. You know, Wuju became a disciple last fall at the University of Virginia. And Wuju struggled a lot with apathy. He just couldn't. He's like, I've heard it before. I grew up going to church. I just, it doesn't, I can't get excited about it. I can't be moved in my heart. I I'm not cut. We got together multiple times a week, multiple times a week. He, he was reading books. He was striving. He was coming to everything. Wuju got baptized in the fall. But here's the great thing about Wuju is he spent a lot of this semester fundraising so that he can go to India this summer and pretty much spend six weeks reaching out to Indians who've never even heard of Jesus. But you know what? That wasn't Wuju who softened his own heart. You know, Christ delivered. God delivered. And through Wuju, obeying 
giving up his summer, half of his summer, to go share his faith with people. Not even a year old spiritually. Some of us are like, I'm too young spiritually. He just got baptized in the fall. Uju told me before he left, he goes, I got a lot of friends at my other church that, that don't know about the truth. He goes, they, don't, they were just like me. They don't know. How, how can I reach out to them? I don't have a car. What can I do? We were talking about doing like a, a, a computer FaceTime Bible discussion with his friends just to share his story. Just, I said, just share your story. Share your story about what God's done because God delivers. We don't have to consider ourselves to be able to deliver because God will. You know, lastly, I want to talk about Sam Lai. You know, Sam, Sam's a disciple at uh, James Madison. You know, she was reached out to at the very end of the year last year. You know how that happens and you think, well, the students are gone. Well, what do we do? Well, Sam, I think it was virtually every day or every other day, met up with, with Marie Balsh. Uh, studied the Bible with Marie. Uh, Sam's doing great. Sam got baptized last summer. Sam's in a couple internships just to, to, to go learn how to be more fruitful at JMU when she gets back in the fall. Sam's less than a year old spiritually. These are, these are people who are young, but you know what? It's not them. It's not magic kids from all over. The, it's not, no, Brittany wasn't magical. Brittany just listened to God. She obeyed, which is incredibly difficult. And in obedience, we have to trust. She trusted. She was faithful. And look what God has done just through a little obedience. Just through a little obedience. And that, it always inspires the entire church when we see those things. We see just a little bit of obedience. Why have we stopped putting our faith in God? How have we started putting our faith in someone else or ourselves? Christ returns to Sarah the next year. I love this verse. It's so short, but it it captures the idea, right? The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he promised. He comes back a year later, and all it says is he delivered. Well, she was going to do the delivering, but he delivered. (laughs) You know what's great about the name? The name of the kid uh, ends up being Isaac, which is Hebrew for laughter. And uh, for the rest of Isaac's life, Sarah would be reminded, you know what? I didn't believe. My son's name is Laughter. You know, that was me. By the way, Abraham laughed too. We didn't read it, but Abraham laughed as well. Both of his parents were like, this isn't possible. Yeah, right. But once they began to consider the one who made the promise, they thought, you know what? God delivers. Christ delivers. This can happen. And I want to close out with a passage. Do I have it up there? Yeah, we'll close out with this. Romans 8. I want to encourage us to start dreaming. But it can be overwhelming to think about all the situations that we, need to, we, we want to see things happen. Ah, it's so easy. It's, 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 it's incredibly easy in America to say things like, my husband got a raise, God totally delivered. Is that a bad thing? No, but I think we, we, we think God's only delivering on these material, these material things. The most important thing to God is that we are, are sheep that are brought back to the flock. That's the most important thing to God, that we become disciples. That's why Janice Mines prayed for years that her kids would become disciples, because she knew that was the most important thing. Not for her. She wanted her kids brought back to the Lord. She wanted her kids to have convictions based on God. I have a lot of convictions my mom does not have. But if I could have half the faith my mom has... Uh, that would be amazing. Romans chapter 8, let's close out with this, verse 24. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. 
Now, here's the thing. Patience is hard. So the very next verse, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. It's almost like God knows. I know that that's going to be difficult for you. The whole patience thing. But guess what? If you've repented and been baptized, you have the indwelling of someone who will help you out with that. With that weakness. Don't worry. I've thought it through. I remember Sarah. I remember Abraham. And uh, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit to help you in your weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Spirit also helps us pray. That's another great practical when we're feeling weak. What did Jesus do when he felt the flesh was weak? He prayed. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. I have skipped one. Uh, Back up. Uh, And we know, verse 28, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. This is a popular passage. We like the scriptures in the Bible that give us what we want. So we like the one in, uh, in Psalms that's like, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. I memorized that as a kid. Like, man, if I could just delight in the Lord, I'm going to get some sweet stuff. I'm going I'm to be rolling in it. We like those passages. This one was also a memory scripture for me as a kid. But I did not keep reading as a kid. The very next verse, you know, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What good? God's going to work for our good. What good? More money, more comfort, more family. What good? Very next verse. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. That good is that you are actually transformed into the likeness of Christ. God is working for your good. Not for more comfort. Not to give you the kid you want. Not to give you the situation you want. Those things can happen. God wants to give us those things. But the main good, the main thrust of what God's been doing for 3,500 years is to, to reach out to you, to give you a Christ, to give you a mediator so that you can actually be more like him. So that we can be like our father. And in this case, let's remember Sarah. That even though Sarah, even though Sarah laughed, she considered the one who made the promise as faithful. And just in the same way, even more so than Sarah, we have Christ, who was given an even more laughable task to come down to earth, to take on the sins of all all of you and all of all of us, and to trust that that would be enough to get you to wake up. To trust that would be enough to get you to realize, you know what? There's only death out there. There's only death in our past, but God can bring life from death. Let's remember that even though we sometimes say, yeah, right, when God makes promises, and especially the promise of salvation and transformation, that Christ and God have consistently delivered over the history of the world. And if nothing else, we have a God and a Christ whom we can take a lot of uh, excitement and faith in our identity. We have an identity in a God who loves us. Amen. And to God be the glory.